morning. Uh, this being Mental Health Sunday, would like to begin with a joke. How many narcissists does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, only one. All they have to do is hold it still while the world revolves around them. I think that joke was originally about a pastor, but I rejiggered it to make it fit this sermon. Uh, but here at St. Andrew, as uh, you probably know, there are uh, so many different ministries uh, for which to give thanks. And uh, among them are the ministries of health and wellness, which are led by a great team of people uh, here in our church who uh, work together to provide care and, uh, and support and uh, resources that enable us uh, to lead uh, a healthy life in body, mind, or spirit, uh, all in the context of our faith and uh, encourage that journey in a variety of ways. When you think about uh, the healing ministry that takes place right here in the sanctuary, or things that happen outside the sanctuary like flu shots in the great room today, or blood drives and pressure screenings, or uh, home visits, or communions, or rides to the doctors, or exercise classes, or support groups, or a clearing house for medical supplies, and a, and a long list of other things, uh, all led and coordinated by Marilee Tollefson, who is our faith community nurse, by uh, Janine McGrath, and as I said, by a great team of people uh, who get together to encourage that good ministry together. But uh, one of the aspects of health and wellness here at St. Andrew, as you heard a moment ago, is uh, something that you don't find in every single church, and that is our mental health ministry, uh, which includes another group of people who provide care and support and resources to us when we experience challenge, uh, challenges to our mental health or there's mental illness uh, either in our life or in the life of somebody that you know and somebody that you love and we lift up that kind of illness along with every other kind of illness after which we respond uh, with the care and the love and compassion of Jesus. So, uh, for example, tomorrow uh, you can register and come here at St. Andrew and receive training in mental health first aid, uh, which like a, every other kind of first aid can make a, a vital difference in somebody's life. Or on Thursday night, you can come here to St. Andrew and be part of a, a group called Life Matters, where you get to listen and you get to uh, share your thoughts and struggles going on in your life or in the life of somebody that you know and that you love. And uh, all of this happens because uh, when your world comes crashing in on you, your church has been called to be part of the rescue team. And we need to talk about what that looks like. We need to say some things that we don't normally like to say out loud. And, and I think we even also need to clean up some confusion that sometimes exists between uh, mental health and illness and the faith that we have in Jesus. And so I want to begin uh, this morning by reviewing some things uh, that I shared the last time that we did this, although this time from a slightly different angle, and then share some uh, other thoughts, and then finally get to the issue of, you know, where in the world is God in all of this? And so the first thing that I would say to you, uh, in case you weren't here last time or you maybe don't remember, is that mental illness is illness. And like any other kind of illness, 
that exists in this world, it takes on a number of different forms and it has varying degrees of severity. But mental illness is illness, and like every other kind of illness, it happens because we live in a fallen and in a broken world in much the same way that I have to wear glasses because we live in a fallen and a broken world, except for the fact uh, that people don't look down upon me because I wear glasses. They have many other reasons, but that's another sermon. And what that says, and the, and the point of it all is that when I remember that mental illness is illness, it reframes, if you'll pardon the expression, my thinking and the way I see it in a way that lessens and even eliminates the experience or the feeling of separation that I might have either from God or even from the people that God has placed in my life in the context of that illness. Uh, the author C.S. Lewis many years ago said that it is easier to say that my tooth is hurting than it is to say my heart is breaking. And you might also uh, think of a word that we get thrown around a lot in conversations like this, and that's the word stigma. Because in fact, in Greek and in Latin, a stigma was literally a physical mark, or it was a stain that was put on somebody, usually a slave, to designate that person as an inferior person. The stigma was placed on them. Today, we use the word stigma to describe uh, more of a psychological or more of an emotional mark that you can't physically see, but we feel it and it makes us feel inferior. That is the stigma. As I said, uh, mental illness, like every other kind of illness, uh, can range from being uh, very minor and treatable to very, being very dangerous and even life-threatening. And so it is important for us to erase the stigma connected with it, just like it's true that when my heart is sick, I can go to the cardiologist and I can get treatment and I can, I can get medicine to help the healing process. When I can't see very well, I can go to the doctor and I can get glasses or I can get contacts. If I have cancer, I can go to the oncologist and uh, I get treatment, I get medicine. And in just that way, when my brain gets sick, when my mind is not well, and the stigma is not there, then I can also go to a professional person who can treat me, who can help me, who can uh, find medicine for me. But if there is no stigma, I can also go to my church, to my faith community, where that community will also erase the stigma and minimize that feeling of separation from God and from the people that God has put into my life. And so I remember uh, one time sitting on a driveway, and I mean not on a chair on a driveway, but literally sitting on the driveway of a person uh, at our church uh, at three o'clock in the morning. 
because that person's world came crashing in on them and it sent them into a very deep and very dangerous uh, depression. And I got there just as that individual was leaving the house, which is why you know, we sat on the driveway at three o'clock in the morning talking until the sun came up. But the reason that that happened is that the stigma was erased. That person had a community of faith to reach out to at a time like that. And I just happened to be the one who responded, but it could be you. And in fact, it has been uh, some of you in other situations and circumstances. And, and when they come up, our role as part of the rescue team is to get close to that pain. And while, you know, when we do that, we do not tell uh, a depressed person to cheer up or uh, an, a person in our family with anxiety to just calm down any more than you would tell a person with a broken leg to get up and go jogging. But we get close to the pain. And uh, we get close to that illness which is uh, greater for some, more severe than others. We encourage a healing process which takes longer for some than for others, has varying degrees of success, but it always includes the loving care, the presence, and the compassion of God through the people of God. And that brings me to the second thing that I want to tell you today, and that is that mental illness is not a lack of saving faith. In fact, there is somebody that I think you all know about who suffered from depression for almost all of his life in one way or another, at one form or another. And that person's name was Martin Luther, the namesake of a worldwide religion. Martin Luther suffered from depression, sometimes very severely, and so much so that he actually experienced a breakdown on a Sunday morning while he was preaching in the spring of 1527, about 10 years after he nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the church from which he was preaching. And at the risk of stealing my own thunder from next Sunday, when we'll celebrate Luther and the Reformation, he was taken home and he couldn't get out of bed for almost two weeks. And he wrote about that time. And he said, it was my season in death and in hell. And that is the guy that God made a champion of grace who changed the whole world. And so we're all about encouraging people in faith in the context of illness, whatever form it happens to take. But what we do not do is go to a person, you know, who is severely depressed or has suicidal thoughts and say to them, you know, if you just had a little bit more faith, I mean, if you just trusted God a little bit more, you know, you may, maybe you'll snap out of this. Because mental illness is not about a lack of faith. Mental illness is illness. And it can come on, it can be made worse, uh, it can be triggered by circumstances, by events, by trauma, by the environment that we live in. And sometimes it can just come completely out of the blue and be almost exclusively about nothing more than brain chemistry. And it can happen to people who really are giants 
of the faith. In fact, uh, not long after the suicide of his 27-year-old son, Matthew, a California megachurch pastor and author, Rick Warren, uh, wrote some words in his journal, and uh, he said in that entry, I would rather walk with God and have none of my questions about Matthew's death answered than walk through this life without him and have every one of those questions answered. Because in my pain, he said, what I need is not an explanation. I need God. And so what we do is we get close to the pain. And we do encourage each other in the pain by reminding our sisters and brothers, and even reminding ourselves when we need to do that, that in the words of Rick Warren, our chemistry is not our character, and our illness is not our identity. And that is because your identity is a child of God. And you may have a bad day. You may have a lot of bad days. For any one of a thousand different reasons, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you are never going to have a day without God. Never. And that brings me to the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, a portion of which you heard uh, just a moment ago, and that uh, St. Paul wrote to both Jewish and Gentile Christians who lived in and around the city of Rome in the springtime of the year 57. Now, uh, Paul wrote that letter to encourage those Roman Christians in their faith, in the context of their struggles and their trials and their persecutions. But the other reason that he wrote that letter is that he wanted to actually be with them in their hardship, and he was unable to be there. He had to go back to Jerusalem before he could get to Rome, and so he writes them a letter, and he tells them, even though we are separated from each other by time and space, I want you to know this one thing, that nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord, which is to say that the love of God for you and for me does not depend on my brain chemistry or how many hours of sleep you got last night or how many cups of coffee you drank this morning. God's promise is that even when we don't always feel it, his love is upon us and we are his children and that's our identity in Christ. And so there was a, a world-renowned theologian in the early 20th century. His name was Karl Barth. He was a, a Swiss reform theologian. And uh, his words were published by the millions in, in dozens of different books, uh, one of the most famous of which was his commentary on St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Well, uh, not long before his death, uh, in his one and only trip to America, Karl Barth was lecturing at Princeton Theological Seminary just up the road in New Jersey. And it was during uh, one of his lectures that he was asked, well, you know, if you could summarize everything that you have written, everything that you have learned and studied with respect to biblical theology and the Christian faith, you know, how would you do that? Well, Carl, Carl Barth stood in the auditorium and he stared at the ceiling for a while, and then he broke the silence. And he looked out over the crowd in the auditorium and he said, 
Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's it. You know, here he is, this world-renowned theologian. I mean, having wrestled with the intricacies of Holy Scripture and biblical theology, having taken positions that have been challenged by theologians all over the world, including a lot of Lutherans, but it all just came down to that one thing for him. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, and that will never, never change, come what may. Uh, Friends, if you are struggling with your thoughts, your feelings, your compulsions, your addictions, your anxieties, your insecurities, your inferiority, your self-loathing, or even with questions about God and faith, I want to tell you something. Jesus has come for you, and you are not alone, and we want you right here at St. Andrew. And if you have somebody in your life, your family, or your circle of friends who's struggling, uh, my prayer is that this day, this moment, this ministry will help you get close to them, get close to their pain, and help them to know that the one thing they don't have to be anxious about ever again is separation from the God who loves us perfectly, unconditionally, and eternally, and that we want them here at St. Andrew too because this is a place where we celebrate and we rejoice in the one who came into this world and he said to all of his children, hey, in this world you're going to have trouble, but I have overcome the world and we serve the one who overcomes here at St. Andrew, who hears what nobody else hears, who sees what nobody else sees, who when we feel empty and depleted inside, comes right into that empty space to be with us. I mentioned the word stigma a few moments ago and how a stigma was a physical mark that was put on a person uh, to designate them as inferior and how today in our culture it's more of a psychological or emotional mark uh, that you cannot see. It may interest you to know uh, that the plural of the Greek and Latin word stigma is the word stigmata. And the word stigmata refers to the marks of the nails in the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. And that in his letter to the Galatians, St. Paul says, I can no longer be troubled by any person because I have the stigmata of the Lord Jesus on me. And let me tell you what, that's one stigma I think I can live with. In fact, it's one stigma that I can't live without. And you got it, and I got it, but you can't actually see it because it was put on you with water in the shape of a cross to mark you as a child of God, come what may, in sickness and in health, in time and into all eternity. I hope you go with that feeling in the good times and also in the bad times 
so that all the time you would know the presence of the one who came to us, who unlike Narcissus, became a servant of all, gave us everything he ever had to be our servant, our Savior, our Lord, who loves you unconditionally now and forevermore. God bless you and give you a great week in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.